I may sound like I'm going to struggle this morning a little bit because the Lord placed something in my heart this week on Monday of, of this week past to speak to this body today. He knew who was going to be here. And He knew what we all needed to hear. And all week long, the Spirit of the Lord has been dealing with me and, and speaking into my heart and sowing seeds of wisdom and, and knowledge. And, and I've been wrestling with the Holy Spirit in prayer all week long. I don't say this for you to look at me at all, but I spent days in fasting today just for this hour that I could speak into your spirit today. I'm speaking on a title called Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit put something in my heart this week that I wanted to get a graphic for it, but the Lord said, no, just say it. And say it this way. The Lord wants us to take the trunk out of our closet, the suitcase out of our closet, or the box out of our closet that is filled with unforgiveness. As human beings, we struggle with this forgiveness. And sometimes we feel like we deserve not to forgive somebody. And if Colossians chapter 3 verses 13 alone. In the NLT it says, make allowance for each other's faults. What's he saying there? He's saying, you know... Just make room for everybody. Because not everybody's going to make you feel good every day. Just make room for them. Because you know what? If I stopped preaching right now, if I stopped and if the Lord said stop, just remember this. He made room for you when he was on the cross. He made room for you. And forgive anyone who offends you. I like it's the word anyone because that covers everyone. Forgive them if they have offended you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. It doesn't say you should. It doesn't say you can. It doesn't say, I invite you to parley with me in language to figure out if we can get this set straight. It doesn't say that if you will or when you get a chance to, or maybe on your good day of any week coming, that you'll take time and say, I forgive. It says you must forgive others. It's a must. It's something that we have to do. You know, I've been in the ministry for 43 years. And you know something? I've offended a lot of people. And a lot of people have offended me. Don't agree with that so quickly. (laughs) That was a silent moment, you know. That wasn't an amen sign. Did somebody put up the amen sign behind me, you know? But preachers, we offend because we bring the word of God. 
And some people don't want to hear what God has to say to them. Because it stirs up something in their trunk, their suitcase, or their box. It makes them bring that out of the closet to where they think about something that they have forgotten about. You see, we have to endure by putting up with others when they fail or act differently from what is expected. You know, and and sometimes we have to understand that forgiveness or forgiving is based on the root word for grace. We need to show unmerited favor. I think somewhere in the Bible that says that we've been saved by unmerited favor through faith, a trust, a hope, and a belief in God's word. That literally we have that and it carries the idea of free forgiveness. We don't charge somebody for forgiveness. It's free. It's free. Not everything in this world is free, but forgiveness is free. Salvation is free for us today because he's already completed it for us. It's ours. It's free. Perhaps because of the word grace. Because of grace, we have been saved. Through faith because we've accepted the, the idea, the fact That there's a man called Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, who decided to step out of glory, to step into a womb of a virgin, to stay there for nine months and birth out in a manger alone where animals are witnessing the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory, wrapped in swaddling clothes. So he came to give us life. And he walked upon this earth 33 and a half years, give or take a day or two, knowing that he was going to do something for you and I. He knew that we'd be in church today to hear this message. He knew that he would give me a message that I wouldn't sit around and say, no, I'm not doing that one. I embraced what God said to do because God wants to bring life into our life. He wants to give us something that we can handle and not worry about it. You know, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Every day. Because I think it's really important to worship Him, to praise Him, to acknowledge Him, and to ask for things by faith, hoping to receive them. But I love this part in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm sorry, the headlines today don't say, you're great and you're wonderful, you're beautiful, be encouraged, speak faith and God's going to give you the money you need and God's going to give you a new building and God's going to give you the new car and oh, praise God, just be encouraged. Sometimes we get wrapped up in stuff that we forget that we've got a responsibility that the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory Can I preach a little bit today? I understand something today, that there's something that happened on Calvary's cross. That we cannot deny, because if it didn't happen, then we aren't saved. 
If it didn't happen, if he didn't raise from the tomb on the third day, then we aren't on our way to glory. We're living in a dead faith, a dead religion, and we've been tricked all these years, and so we might as well give it up and find a place where we can sit down and eat a meal and find some joy in food. Because we're human, that's where we find our joy. Food. I mean, you want to fill this place up every Sunday, just put out front, dinner is free. Then you will see that food does bring joy. It's an attachment. It's a need. It's something we must have. Let me reverse that. We have a must-have in our life, and that is we must have Jesus. We have a must-have in our life, and that is that we need God's grace. His mercy rewrote our steps. One man put it this way, I was heading north into trouble, and I met Jesus, and all of a sudden I found myself heading south into his presence and his glory and the promises of his kingdom. A total turnaround. It was not a negotiation when Jesus came into your life. It wasn't like, I'll do this if you do that. If you refuse, if you refuse, if you just say no, I'm not forgiving them. How do you expect God to forgive you? I'm asking you to look at your trunk today. Your box, your suitcase. I'm asking you if you still have a light on in that closet, which is the heart, by the way. If you still have a light on there that says that there's somebody in there that I just really don't like. They really hurt me. They said things to me that were really weird. Mean. They damaged my character. So I'm going to just hold them in my prison. Of my heart. And what I'm going to do is realize today that they are not only bound, but I have put myself in bondage because I'm walking along, around with unforgiveness. But the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to forgive them. You can't live in disobedience in the kingdom, by the way. You can't live that way. Our plea for continued forgiveness as believers, requesting the restoration of fellowship with God, following the alienation that sin produces, is predicated on our having forgiven those who have sinned against us. Wow. It's predicated on that. You know, I forgive everybody. I ask for forgiveness all the time. Moments. I ask, I ask for forgiveness. I do, because I think it's better to be asked to be forgiven than to walk around being uptight. Amen. I just got to preach just, just a bit here. Do you know that Jesus did not have to forgive us? I mean, God is so just, that's why all this happened. 
But do you know in Genesis 3.15, God came on the scene and said, I am sending a Savior who's going to crush the head of this, of this devil. His heel's going to be bruised, but he's going to do something that's going to change the way humanity thinks. And he makes a way for humanity to get back home. Forgiveness. When you think about it, it all had a sinner's back to forgiveness. To forgiveness, which is so important to all of us, that let me tell you the parable, a very familiar parable the parable of the unforgiving debtor. This guy owed millions of dollars. Sometimes I try to get the graphic in my mind because I listen by graphic drawing in my mind. I kind of do word pictures when you talk to me. Sometimes they're funny, by the way. But literally, this guy owes millions of dollars and the holder of that debt comes to him and says, I want my millions of dollars now. Give it to me now. It's, it's mine and, and you need to give it to me. Or I'm throwing you in the debtor's prison. This man who owed the debt went into a whole new world of begging. Almost like the widow woman went in when her husband died who was a prophet. And said they were going to come and take my sons till I paid my debt. And she found Elijah. And she said, oh, Elijah, please help me. And Elijah said, what can I do? Referring back to you need to do something also. And he gives her what she needs to do. Move in faith. Go get vessels in your house. Take them out. And keep filling them. And when it was done... She paid her debt and her sons were safe. He begs, please, 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 sir, don't send me to prison. I got a job, I got babies, I got family, I got folks who count on me. Don't do this, please. Oh, let me, oh, let me kiss your feet. Oh, please, don't, no, don't. He wears this guy out. A millions of dollars, he wears him out and he goes, okay, go with He's so happy, he's skipping down the street. I'm free! Have you ever been free of something and you get lightheaded? So thankful? You know, the way you did when God forgave you of all your sins and you got saved, you got lightheaded and stoked and you were happy. You know, I meet people sometimes and I say, how's everything going? They go, I got saved. Got saved. I said, really? What, what, what was it like? No, we just went to church and I went up to the altar and they prayed. And I got saved. You want to talk about it? No, I'm feeling I'm, I'm going Right now I'm going to dinner. I'm going to get some food. I got saved. Then you got people like me that got saved. And when I got saved, I went, I'm saved! Hallelujah. Praise God that dead of sin was taken off my shoulders. I can dance, I can shout, I can praise. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. You see, the Spirit of the Lord told me this week, Dennis, we're on a first name basis. Because when you're family, you're on a first name basis. You don't go to say somebody like, like your dad or something like, oh, Mr. Last Name. Call your dad, dad or papa. My grandkids call me poppy. They call Kathy Grammy. You see, there's this relationship. And I just, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said really clear to me, very clear, very something that, that just almost knocked me off my feet. He said, not only are you saved, but you are breathing saved air. Yeah. Hallelujah. Breathing saved air. So he goes skipping down the road. He's breathing saved air now. And he runs into a guy that owes him a few thousand dollars. And he goes, hmm, I didn't have to pay that million back. But there's a guy who owes me. So he goes to the guy and he says, you owe me a few thousand dollars. And that guy starts going, please leave me alone. No, no, I, I, can, I don't know how I can do this. I'm broke. The family's hungry. I'm out of my job. The car's in the shop. It's been there for a year. I can't get it out. Everything's wrong. This sweater I'm wearing, it belongs to somebody else. He goes, give me my money. But you see, sometimes when you make a lot of noise when you're saved, People notice you. Then they see you doing something that a saved person shouldn't do. You see, what I think all of us have to understand, when we got saved, we became a billboard for Jesus. Not just some little, you know, spot on the wall, you know, like a little flyer on a window when you walk by, you know. It's a billboard saying, I'm saved. I'm free, I'm sinless, and if I do fall, I can go to Jesus and he's going to forgive me because I'm going to be, I'm going to repent. Can I preach? Are you with me this morning? Some of you are looking at me like, you don't know where I am. I do. I know where I'm at. I'm sitting here right here with Jesus and Jesus is saying, preach, tell them, release people from their hearts. So somebody sees this guy who just got free because he was making noise about it. Look at his friends who actually, who owed the few thousand dollars, being treated by this guy. And he goes and tells the guy that just set him free, this guy needs to get pulled back in. He's not doing his job. He's not doing what he was supposed to do. He's treating people horribly. And guess what? The first debtor goes to him and says, I am now in your presence. What do you want? And he says, I still 
don't understand how you can allow yourself to be free from millions of dollars, but yet treat someone who owes you hardly anything comparably to the millions, and you won't release them. So I have made a new decision. I have made a decision that I am putting you in prison till you pay the millions of dollars. And let me tell you something. Can I spiritualize this a little bit? Can I take this to a place to where you can say, whoa, you see, the enemy waits for you to do something like that. And he takes you back into prison and starts working on your mind and starts putting you away. And you lose that sense of salvation, that freedom, that joy, that hop, that dance, that willingness to say, I am and it says in Matthew 18.35 that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart if you refuse to forgive refuse But Luke 23, 34, Jesus gets nailed to a cross. And look look at this graphic. Jesus gets nailed to a cross. And Jesus said, Father, would you please come and get me out of this mess? I know in the garden. Jesus, the Bible says, his visage his countenance, his being was so badly beaten that you could not even see that he was human. My brother-in-law was beaten in Hayward and beaten with two-by-fours, left for dead for a few dollars that they got from him at an ATM. And when I went to visit him at the hospital... The only way I could tell it was him is by the end of his nose. Beaten. Here's our God, our Savior, our Master, our Rabboni, the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory, so dirty and so smelly and so beaten. And, you know, they put a loincloth on him only because they don't want to be immoral in pictures, but he was naked. They hated him so much they wanted to show everything about his body because it would show how much they hated him and wanted to disrespect him. We are so fancy. We are so fancy. We have forgotten the cost of our salvation. If we, if we remember it, it's on a shelf somewhere. If, you're, if you remember it, something touches you and you get a little happy, you don't dare show it. It's that inner joy. But he was not having fun. And the words that he first said... You know, I preached a message, you know, entitled The Seven Sermons of Jesus. But the first sermon that he preached, or seventh, the, the first statement that he says is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. 
They don't know what they're doing. So just forgive them. They're just following the crowd. They're just following orders. Sometimes when I say that, let me spiritualize again. May I, may I say something that I hope just grabs your heart because this message is so intense today and so important for you is the enemy comes into your life and he starts to tell you little things that literally you don't realize what you're doing Because he starts dictating to you and telling you things to do. Just like these soldiers were told what to do. Do you know when he was hanging there? And do you know when he expired? Do you know what happened? One of the Roman soldiers said, Surely this is the Son of God. Surely. And graves opened. Earthquake. It got so dark it was as night. But Mary... John and the others were over there weeping. Weeping. Oh, that the church again would weep for what Jesus has done. If the church again would weep for what, how he has reached into our hearts and changed us and given us the praise and the honor and the glory that he deserves, he shared that with us. Don't let the first thing, pride, stop you from forgiving someone. Pride is that sense that I don't have to because I'm important. I don't have to do these things because I am important. I don't have to forgive because I am important. Don't let, secondly, arrogance. Like, I am important and I don't have to. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know who I am? And thirdly, don't let judgment. You see, as human beings, we love to pass judgment. I challenge you to listen to conversations this week when people talk. Oh, that meeting didn't go real well. The way I see it, if I would have done it, if I would have had an opportunity to speak, oh, this is how I would have done it. We have this judgment built into us. Believe me, as pastors, I know that because we get judged all the time for length of sermon. How long meetings last. Why does he have to preach like he's on fire? Because I am on fire. Amen. Because something's happening inside of me that I cannot control. Because I ask the Holy Spirit to take me over to preach. Keep you from being forgiven and from receiving the relationship with God. You see, forgiveness is powerful. Sin, you know, to be forgiven, it means to send away, to wipe away.
Our sign of personal relationship with God through Christ is that we begin to emulate his actions. Pray for others to be forgiven of their sins. You can do that. I want to close on this one little story. I hope that I've preached to help you. I've wrestled this week. I don't say that for you to say, oh, thank you, Pastor. I say that because I knew that when you preach on the word forgiveness, you're going into the hearts or the closets of people. And you're stirring things from the past that they don't want to let go of. But there's, there's one person in the Bible. He's in the Old Testament. It didn't look pretty one day. Everything before that day, he was good, gorgeous, rich. God loved him. He was righteous. And the enemy comes and says, have you noticed Job? And God says, of course I've noticed him. Now I'm paraphrasing, if you don't mind. I'd like to mess with him. I think I could get him to change from this righteousness that he has towards you. Do you know what? The devil hates us. If he can stop this church from growing, if he can stop this church from being a light into this neighborhood throughout San Francisco, he'll do everything he can to do that. And to every other church in America. If he can close down the Bay Area and say, it's my kingdom here, not yours, get out! He'll do all he possibly can to do it. Oh, Pastor, he... You live in some world, man. You live in, are you, I mean, are you like Captain Kirk here today or something? Let me tell you something right now. I'm telling you the truth. Read the Bible. Satan hates God. He hates God's people. And he'll do anything he can to stop God's people from growing and being what the Bible says we should be like. He wants you to get cold as ice. Watered down. Uncommitted, not praying, and driving past somebody who's hungry, and you have a lunch for them, but you've decided you want to eat it. Walter just walked in here. Is it Walter, honey? But he showed respect. Now, if you've ever been in the Church of God in Christ, you understand what this means. This is respect when you walk through a room. It's respect. He walked in with respect. He walked up to me with respect. He walked over there and made sure that everything was quiet enough for him to move into the bathroom. He put his fingers in and he walked over there. Respect. Drunk. And he came by me. On the way out, 
I said, I love you, Walter. He said, Pastor, my pants are stale. Do you have any pants here? Do you have anything here? And I'm going to tell you what through my mind. It'll blow your mind and I don't care. I was going to go take my shoes off and my pants off and give them to him. And I think I would have shocked you if I would have preached in my underwear. (laughs) But it went through my mind because I believe that we can help people. My wife will tell you, I have taken my shirts off. I have taken my socks and shoes off. I have taken my my t-shirts off. I've gone home with just pants on. When when I was in Chicago, I gave my my brand new down jacket. And I gave my shoes. And I walked around in the winter under under Chicago in the lower whacker. Walking into the caves and speaking with the homeless. And praying with them and loving on them. And I remember taking a drunk man who was throwing up my pictures and turned him over on so he wouldn't follow them. And if he did, he wouldn't drown. I remember walking up on the ledge and this guy jumps up with a shovel and he goes like this. Oh, this brother comes off his bed. He said, brother, you touch him and I'm going to kill you. I said, oh, amen. <laughs> he said, he's a preacher. Yes. He's a preacher. I would have much rather said, he's a Christian. Satan hates us. And God says, just don't kill him. You have your way with him, just don't kill him. They make a contract. Satan goes, okay. He went, he made it, got his way with him. And Job's wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Because you're broken, there's nothing left. Our family's gone. Everything's gone. And look at you. You're full of lupus. Full of boils. Curse God and die. And Job says no. He goes through his whole rest of his life. Almost to the end. Getting criticized and judged. And made the told that he did this or he did this. And actually in, in, in chapter 13 he makes a statement saying. God show me my iniquities that I know not of. That I, I can repent of them. That I can be free of the sins that I don't know about. He gets to the end. I hope I've preached well today. Because I've, I've poured my heart out to you. And if I didn't, I know God's happy with me. Because I've obeyed him. At the end, God gets in the picture and spends about three chapters, two and a half chapters, telling Job, you remember who I am. I'm God. You, didn't, you, you can't do anything I've done. I've, no one can do anything that I've done. No one
And Job just submits to it. And listen to this paragraph. Listen. In verse 10 of chapter 42. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And also the Lord gave him twice as much he has had. Because he had literally asked for forgiveness. And he forgave his friends. He forgave them. Yes, yes. He forgave them. Because he said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. So this pastor spent a week in prayer. God, I forgive that one. <laughs> Lord, I clean up my box, my heart. That one was hidden. I forgot it was there. <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me because I want God's mercy and grace to be in his full value for me. I don't want to hold anybody in prison. Because forgiveness has power in it. Forgiveness has power.